leave it to a preacher to try to exegete the uh, organ prelude. <laughs> so, how'd it go? It's lovely. Still needs a little tuning, but it's lovely. No squeak. Yes. Thank you for all your generosity to make sure that uh, the organ could have some maintenance and some TLC and, uh, I guess, tuning to come. But I imagine it felt a little different, sounded a little different this morning. Both, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and could you tell, I mean, from where you're sitting? I mean, I heard stuff, but it did sound sweeter today, though, didn't it? Yes. It's a delight to be here with you again after uh, a week's vacation and also just that we can be together to worship. And I extend that not only to the people whose lovely smiling faces I can see, but also for those who are uh, with us online. Bob faithfully curates the hymn board and indicates the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. And this is a definite turning point in Matthew's gospel where Jesus asks his followers and the wording is pretty blunt. He says, you, as in the gathered you all, who do you say I am? And I want to say something about location, location, location as part of our introduction today because I think it matters in terms of how we will receive the gospel reading when we hear it later. This place, Caesarea Philippi, it's a much more fraught place than, say, the dinner table or coffee hour after church when we're asked, who do we say Jesus is? You see, Caesarea Philippi was one of the prominent outposts of the Roman Empire. So the disciples need to be careful how they answer this question. It's also true that there is statuary in the whole region for all sorts of Roman and Greek gods, including some of the mischief makers like Pan. That too is significant because people are being asked, where are your allegiances? Where is your loyalty? And above all of that even, who is this Jesus? What does he mean to us? I think that is something that we not only answer in word, but we answer in how we live. The service today, we begin with the order of confession, and that is printed in the worship folder. And you're invited to rise, whether that's in body or in spirit, as we begin the service. Sounds like Lucy out there, Mark. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God, who greets us in this and every season, whose word never fails, and whose promise is sure. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of our neighbors. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned, we have hurt our community, we have squandered your blessings, we have hoarded your bounty. In the name of Jesus, forgive us and grant us your mercy. 
Righteous God, we confess that we have sinned. We have failed to be honest. We have lacked courage to speak. We've spoken falsely. In the name of Jesus, forgive us and grant us your mercy. God is a cup of cold water when we thirst, and God offers boundless grace when we fail. Claim the gift of God's mercy. You are freed and forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The gospel of our Lord. Won't you be seated? Grace and peace to you from God, a loving creator, Jesus, the Messiah, and the Spirit who brings us together to be church. May it be that when we proclaim Jesus as Son of the living God, we do that in the tradition of Simon Peter, the influence of the Spirit. Now, there is a departure for us between the disciples then and us now, and that is that we know a little more about what the Messiah does. Jesus would warn his followers that, yes, he would be crucified and that he would rise on the third day. So at least for the time being, no sense borrowing tomorrow's trouble, he tells the disciples, don't say anything just yet. 
about Jesus being Messiah. But they still fuss with the question, who do we say Jesus is? They had seen the healing, the feeding, the walking on water, his compassion, and yes, the pushback that he would get from some religious leaders and from the empire itself. So the question, important as it is, is one that that first community of recipients of Matthew's gospel paid attention to very, very closely as they were trying to figure out who they were and what their place was in the larger faith community. I think today's world is very interested in our response about who we say Jesus is. But I think people are not as interested in our verbiage as they are in how we live that out. I read it in marketing terms this week that our brand has taken a hit. Which means that our reputation as Christians sometimes is not pristine. That sometimes we don't practice what we preach and sometimes in egregious cases, we preach condemnation and judgment, and then we try to dress it up like we're pointing people to Jesus. Martin Luther once said, you name the thing what it is. So that's what we've done in this moment. I think to do much more, I would fall right smack into the temptation of being a judgy, condemning preacher, judging and condemning, judgy, condemning people. And you end up becoming the very thing you try to avoid, right? So instead, I would like to commend to you what the church really wants to be and who we say Jesus is in the midst of that. It wasn't long ago, a month or so, that Anglicans from across Canada and our Lutheran body, the ELCIC, gathered in convention together. The fact that they were able to do that, I think, says something about who we believe Jesus is, a gatherer, a uniter, one who's trying to bring us together. But it was after the convention that our Bishop Susan Johnson put together what she calls the very long list based on conversations and resolutions and prayers that happened in that assembly. And I think it is her very long list that reflects something about our response to the question, who do we say Jesus is? Where would you find this list? Canada Lutheran Magazine, if you go online, it's there, it's the back page. I think we have printed copies somewhere. If we don't, I'll check with Jennifer Alcorn about seeing if we can get some uh, brought forward if you don't use the internet at all. In preparing this week, I had a chance to read that list. And I will admit freely that it brought tears to my eyes and a bit of lightness to my heart. You might be feeling what many of us do. 
that sense of heaviness, that sense of doom because of all of the natural disasters unfolding before us and how those affect people. You may be feeling weighted down by all the political squabbling that doesn't seem to solve anything, especially for people who would like a roof over their head, just to name one thing. So reading a list like Bishop Susan's is both tonic and I think a bit of a kick in the seat <laughs> to get us moving. And she opens up by saying, the first thing we need to do is to live into the apologies we have formally made with the two-spirit LGBTQIA community. And living into that means confronting things like transphobia and homophobia and affirming that transgender rights are human rights. Wow, that's gutsy. And I, for one, I'm very proud of our church for saying that out loud. We are also called to racial justice. Again, calling a thing what it is without falling into it ourselves, I think, when we speak about things like racism, white nationalism and supremacy, and when we talk about even the ways that our structures of doing things they don't work for everybody, for those who are differently abled, for people of different races. I think you can name many people who are living on the margins, that we can be mindful of that. And because many of these things are systems that we help develop, I think we can help alter too. Now this might sound like a political speech, and I'm going to stand behind Desmond Tutu by saying that any time we talk like this, we're not being partisan and political. We're just repeating what Jesus said when he called us to be just and to love one another. Now, Bishop Susan's list goes on to things like the environment and the church's goal to cap our greenhouse gases to go carbon neutral by 2050. Again, that sounds technical, but to me it sounds also like Jesus followers care for the planet, that we love where we are and we're not just waiting for the end and waiting to abandon ship, but instead to do what God called us to do to begin with, to keep creation. Did I say this to this group or maybe just to a friend of mine recently? that keeping creation, the word keep in the Hebrew from people who know Hebrew, not Bart, but I tried. Anyway, the word to keep creation is the very same word used when we bless. The Lord bless you and keep you. So you see where that leads when it comes to things like net zero carbon policies and things that I don't quite yet understand, but hope to. It was also fascinating this week to come across in the resources of our national church that if we wanted to do an audit ourselves of our carbon footprint, it's available, that we could learn how much we are contributing to greenhouse gases, if we like. 
very interesting spreadsheet that I would need a lot of help getting through, but there are a lot of smart people here, so I am confident if it's something you would like to undertake, I can at least tell you where that is. Again, why is the pastor harping on all this stuff that you watch on TV and read in the newspaper? Because I think that is part of our response to who we say Jesus is. And I would heartily emphasize that I think the world is watching with great interest what we say and what we do when we say, well, we follow Jesus. We don't always get it right, and we struggle. And I think it's important to remember that Jesus addressed his words not only to Simon Peter, and his words are not meant for us to do some sort of orthodox, creedal statement of faith to make sure we're okay with God. He wants to know, if I can use the phrase, where our heart is, and he gives us a gut check. Where are our commitments? Where are our loyalties, really? When we ask and answer such a question as Jesus puts before us. Going back to Jesus asking everyone, I think that's a gift. Because there are times when we are going to flounder and struggle and not know. But Thanks be to God, there are other parts of the church that maybe will lift us up at that point and help us and give us some guidance. But let me turn that around by saying that there may be times when we get to be the encouragers, the guides, and the inspiration too. All of this to say, we do what the church has always done. Our job is to be living, breathing, witnesses, true blue human beings, testifying to God's love in the world. And so when we say things like Jesus is the Messiah, what we are saying is that Jesus is the very embodiment of God's love for everyone and for all creation. Bless you as you continue to say that and to live that.